and he said these seeds carried by birds had the most chance of survival because of the the nutrients that were also packed in the bird poo and at this moment i just had my it was like a, a light bulb just you know turned on for me and was like this is it how about because my passion with trees has always been there and I was like, oh my God, how about replacing or emulate nature and having birds uh, being drones and find a formula to cut, to prepare the seeds, load them in the drone and have the drones do the work uh, and restore uh, degraded landscapes. So that's how it all started. You got to accentuate the positive. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain, the last show for 2019 before we hit 2020. Here we come, another decade. And as many of you know, who have been listening to the shows and watching the shows. We've been going through some times down under with uh, the environment and a lot of the channels that we've had on the shows over the last year or so have been talking about, you know, desperate times and uh, we are in them right now. So I've got a gorgeous friend with me who has doing some amazing things, is accentuating the positive. His name is Amrik Madhu. Welcome to the show, Amrik. Thanks, Karen. Great to be here. As you can tell by his accent and his name, he was born in France and moved to Australia. How long ago did you move to Australia? Uh, that was 16 years ago now. 16 years ago. Let me read your bio here and so we can get a bit of a, a idea of who you are and what you've been doing. You've had a fascinating life. I met Amrik about seven or eight years ago uh, through Eco Expo and uh, anyway, amazing person. So Amrik calls himself the chief rainmaker. As a child growing up in the south of France, one thing Amrik had in his garden was a tiny rectangular patch of earth his parents wouldn't mow. He would grow anything he could there, little violets and flowers. And ever since he was a kid, he was gifted with plants. He says, my family and friends used to bring their sick plants to me and I would bring them back to life with love, care and plenty of talking. My mum used to say as a kid, I would grow a forest out of chopsticks. <laughs> I think that is so cute. He knew all he needed was to get back to that feeling and had he had when he was a child and do something for the earth but that's not the way your life unfolded and rick holds two master's degree in international marketing and environmental management he had a career as a brand marketer for renault disney louis vuitton and also recently maison nets and says it was a result of a shift in thinking or what he describes his aha moment that brought him back to the earth after working in the marketing world, but wow, that marketing experience must have given you so many great ways to sort of use those skills to market what we all need to, we all need mm. to be sold in my environmental issues and not more high heel shoes, let me tell you. <laughs> well, sold and inspired, man. Inspired, yeah. He resigned from the corporate world 
because you say they did not have sustainability at their core in their business and you didn't know what you were going to do but promised yourself that whatever happened you would listen to your heart these last few months Amrique has launched Lord of the Trees which is the first commercial drone planting scheme which we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Amrik's story but also what he's doing with this Lord of the Trees because it looks amazing you say here I now realize how important it is to cherish and honor the moment when you know you need to do something that makes sense only to you it is a little seed that will grow and as I said I met Amrik because he was putting on Eco Expo which was an expo showcasing environmentally friendly everything like what people were doing on the land and products and food and fashion and everything yeah it was uh, everything to do with um, adopting a sustainable lifestyle at the time where so this was now uh, it 11 years ago at a time where organic was you know reserved for uh, the elite because it was uh, expensive you couldn't find it in mainstream shops um and and people were i mean you know the, the electric cars just you know wasn't as mainstream as it, as it is now so yeah it was uh, that's what started the journey <laughs> well thank god that it's more mainstream i mean hooray for that and so i look i know what it's like putting on events and getting people interested i remember uh you know it was growing it was expanding you had a few hundred come and then a few thousand and then it was growing and then you were thinking yay people are really jumping on this and i remember you made the whole expo free except for certain talks i thought which, which was a good model um where you would buy to see certain people talk about certain things that you were interested in and um but the people didn't turn up that was your last one right well it was the last one it's something very interesting happened is um uh, ever since we've known each other and we came to uh, i think all of the events they were indoors so we did them in um uh, you know exhibition centers and halls and for something that was eco and sustainable um i kept getting this feedback from most of the exhibitors that they wanted to do a show outside and i approached the city of sydney um and i told them about so we had you know a, a five years um or six of five or six years under our belt of, of running this show that was growing and they were very keen to support and with their partnership we did the show at uh, prince alfred park in sydney that day was on record the hottest day of the year and what could have been an amazing incredible event turned out to be uh, this really scrouching day where i remember i had um exhibitors with makeup the makeup was melting that's how hot it was um, um you know some uh, people with ice cream as well organic ice cream the, the the ice cream was completely melted it was absolutely it was so hot it wasn't funny so the people actually were there and you could find them uh, under the trees in the shade but where the event was which was you know right under the sun um yeah it had this feeling of there was no one but actually people were just there they were like in the shade and that um um when we finished the show that night um Sydney had this torrential 
rain coming in for the next 10 days with this massive storm that we could see when we bumped out, which was absolutely incredible. So it, the weather held itself for our event. Uh, it was just too much of a beautiful day, unfortunately. So, yeah. Well, I was there that day and I remember I bought quite a few things which I've still got and cherished today, like a glass, um, you know, water bottle uh, with rubber around it and oh, a few different things. But yeah, it was a good day and some thongs from Kathy, you know, makes the thongs, puts shoes on people's uh, kids' feet and look, yeah, all these amazing people selling amazing things. Mm. Tell me what your life was like growing up in France. I was, look, I had a very good um, childhood. I grew up in the south of France, uh, in Bordeaux, um, right. and in a little uh, part of Bordeaux called Saint-Emilion. So if you have any, like, wine um, wine lovers amongst your uh, followers, uh, that, that's where I'm from, I'm from Saint-Emilion. My grandparents on my mom's side were farmers, and I've always been in contact with, uh, so they had a little farm with, um, uh, animals, mainly cows, rabbits, a few sheep. Um, and my grandparents have never ever in their whole life bought any fruits or veggies from the supermarket. Wow. They used to grow absolutely everything. Everything yeah. was fresh, everything was seasonal. Uh, what they were doing in summertime, they were, there was a bit of an overstock. So uh, my grandma used to freeze, you know, things. Uh, for winter but all her life until they both passed away they have never and she was very proud you know to to tell the story as well every time we would you know meet and have family dinners or, or big celebration uh, everything was always fresh and and uh, yeah it was a very sustainable way of living I guess um, and, and eating in season as well so I, I grew up in this environment um, where the earth and we were living with you know the earth and understanding the cycles of nature with the seasons yeah uh, in the south of france where i'm from we really have four distinct uh seasons so you know summer um fall spring and winter are very uh very different from each other yeah not not like here in australia where it sounds to be like a, the endless summer so what made you go into marketing and working with all these big flashy companies like fashion, high fashion, luxury cars and Disney. Yeah, this, well, the, all of them were amazing schools. Um, when I was at school, uh, so I was at a very young age on Wednesday morning, we had this, and I always wanted to be, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a vet. Oh. I love animals. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I was reading, collecting, cutting pictures of animals. I had my own little book and that was my passion. Um, and every Wednesday morning we had uh, parents who would come and, you know, tell us what they were doing. And uh, I never had a vet coming in, but one day this guy came in and um, was talking about all his travels and he was um, uh, a working in uh, in business and all of those trips and discoveries and i was like oh my god this is like it, it was almost like um pixie dust in my eyes and i was like god oh, that sounds interesting and i suddenly took a, a turn at a young age and i'm like well I'll, I'll go into business and that's what i did so at 17 i left uh france i moved to america where i lived there for 10 years um 
I got a degree in business uh, in the States, my first uh, bachelor in America. Then I, I joined Disney, which was out of every company that I've worked with was probably the best school um, for marketing and for, you know, learning. And, and it was just incredible. I loved my time there. Mm-hmm. And after that, I moved to uh, the West Coast in California and San Francisco. And I got a... Um, my first master's in uh, international marketing. Wow. And um, something really interesting happened, which was, so I lived in this block um, uh, in San Francisco in the middle of the city, and I lived there for two and a half years. And um, out of these two and a half years, I've experienced three Christmas parties. And the first one I didn't go, the second one didn't want to go. <laughs> and so basically what it is our block was two towers and in the middle was a beautiful swimming pool and some sort of like community center and all the neighbors would get there and, and um, I, I never wanted to go but that day I was coming back from school and it was the last time I was going to be there I was like I had this feeling it was really incredible I had this feeling walking passing that that room and I saw all, all those people I, I never knew, right, those big towers. And there, and I had this feeling that I had to be at a party. So I went upstairs and I told my flatmates, I'm going down to the Christmas party. And he looked at me, was very puzzled. And he said, oh my God, I, said, I can't believe it. You're going to the Christmas. He said, you're always the one who's against this, you know, the Christmas party. And I said, yeah, look, I don't know why I have to go and I have to go there. So I went there and I, um, I grabbed a drink and there is this, It, I don't know how to explain, but there was this person in the middle of the room. I have never seen her, met her, heard of her. I'd, she's a total random stranger. And she was in the middle of the room and it's almost like uh, the light. <laughs> there was this spotlight on her and uh, I, I just went through her. Um, I, sorry, I just went towards her and uh, she was talking to a girlfriend. And I introduced myself, and she was wearing this really beautiful um, uh, necklace. And I said, oh, I said, that's a really interesting, beautiful necklace you have. And she said, thank you. And her girlfriend said, you know, when you work for LV, you can afford it. And I said, what's LV? And she said, oh, it's Louis Vuitton. I'm like, oh, my God. I said, it's amazing. I said, for the last, um, you know, five years of, of doing business, uh, in France and here, I, I had a passion for the luxury industry and I've collected and I li- literally had a folder that thick uh, in my apartment where I collected every single article from the industry, all the movements, what they were doing, what was happening with, you know. And I just told her the story and she said to me, she said, look, I'm about to leave. If you can bring me your resume before I finish my drink, I'll see what I can do. And the story in this is that when I, w- <laughs> I was about to graduate and I had sent maybe 50 or 60 uh, um, emails to various, uh, you know, uh, companies mm-hmm. of that the LVMH group. And I still have to this day those, the 50 replies, which were all negative. Denials. And- wow. The rejections all. Yeah. Wow. And this woman was actually the, the, uh, the head for uh, human resources for Louis Vuitton in San Francisco. And I brought my resume and she was impressed, I guess, because the next week I had an interview and 
it was, you know, a series of two or three interviews and I, I finally got a job. That's how I, I, I got into uh, Louis Vuitton in the States. You know, this is so synchronistic, I can't tell you. I had a client this morning and I said, uh, you know, what's in store for you for 2020? And really what the message was for her was say more yeses because she's, uh, you know, she's good at saying no and um coming up with all sorts of reasons why she doesn't want to go to the party or she doesn't want to do this or she doesn't like that or something like that and i said okay say more yeses and she said well surely we get to choose our preference and if we don't want to do something then that's the right choice right it's like how we feel at the time and i just believe that we have these desires to make a difference to whatever desires we have and the universe is bringing us to it but we have to align you know we have to say yes and you're your instinct was, I don't want to know about those parties, but you were listening to something else outside of your preference of go to the party, don't go to the party. And it brought you exactly what you wanted at the time. Yeah. So the message for anyone watching this is say yes, say yes in 2020. You'll never know how yeses can open uh, it, doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about saying yes. It's about saying no as well, if it feels right for you. I, I think for me, the shift, I mean, this moment, what I realized is like this vibration, you know, I just felt something happening and I'm like, I'm just going to listen to that. So it's about, mm. about trusting what's happening in the moment and, and go with this, even if in your head, because now you're listening with your heart, even if in your head it's like, well, I don't want to go to. Exactly. Heart, like, okay, well, you know what? Let's just fall into the heart for one second and let's just go and, and see what happens. Follow the impulse. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, wow, it sort of sounds like farm boy grows up, becomes, you know, marketing director and works for Louis Vuitton, Disney and does the sort of... I wasn't a director. <laughs> hey? Not I director wasn't. or marketing person. And, um, and then comes back to the land. It's like you've kind of come full circle, but you've gained all this amazing wisdom and design prowess and marketing prowess along the way. And now you're kind of back working with the land. Uh, we could go into more of your story, but I think that what we want to talk about is what you're doing with the Lord of the Trees. Yeah. Um, we had a meeting here at my house the other day, a few of us were gathering and, and one of the people was saying, I think we need to like do something more proactive. Why don't we go out and plant some trees? Why don't we get a group together and go out and plant trees? <laughs> and then the next day you send me, look, Lord of the Trees, let's, let's have a listen to what's going on with Lord of the Trees. Yeah. So I moved to Australia 16 years ago and uh, exactly 16 years ago, it was um, a birthday lunch that I was invited to at one of my clients and um, this person, so there was like about 20 people sitting at the table and this person in front of me was telling the story of this guy that he, that he knew, who was a friend of his, who lives in Western Australia and plants trees in the middle of the desert with no water and I just got I was so fascinated with this story. It was just amazing that I made sure before I left uh, the lunch that uh, I had a way to contact this person. Mm -hmm. And uh, three weeks later, I was on a plane to Perth. Um, David Kennett, that's his name, came to pick me up and we drove uh, 300 kilometers east of Perth. Um, and by the time we reach his property, so there is no more road. It's now a dust road. You look right, left, and all the way up to the horizon, and all you have is is um, sand, and it's really a desert. 
And um, what David has done for the last uh, 18 years now, he's, uh, he had a calling and um, he bought a piece of land which was the most degraded out of all the plots that were for sale. And the aerial, the satellite pictures actually show his property as being white, which uh, the satellite picked up this crust of salt that was on his land. And despite the um, advices from the real estate to, you know, not buy this land because he said you, you'd never be able to grow anything, he did uh, because he had this instinct that he would be able one day to, you know, grow and restore the ecosystem. And um, he's got this unique technique of planting trees using uh, no water, only at the beginning when he plants the seedlings. And we've been friends ever since. And at the time, I, we tried to do something with my marketing background and anything, but it just, it just wasn't the right time. It, it just seems I've, I've never been... Um, it, it just wasn't the right time. And we've been friends ever since. And I went back to visit him um, um, years later. He came to, to Eco Expo as well in Sydney one year. And um, very recently, three months ago, I was watching a documentary on TV. Um, and it was a documentary for, uh, about the Galapagos Island from David Attenborough. And... David is in one of the, the oldest island, which is now a proper rainforest with its own ecosystem and trees, insects, and, you know, everything. And he said before this island became what it was, um, it was just a, a giant rock that came out uh, from an, an underwater uh, oceanic volcano. And it was this bare black land with nothing in it and the way the plants arrived was first with uh they were carried uh through the cold currents that would hit this island uh, so we're mainly talking here about coconuts that would float and hit the hit the beach and after that you had little seeds that were light enough to be carried by the wind and but it was very random as well because when a seed carried by wind lands um it land i it could be on on the on the right on the island itself and one centimeter on the left it goes into the ocean so it's lost and the last image that he was uh, showing in his documentary was this bird and there is this seagull that comes and that poops and he said these seeds carried by birds had the most chance of survival because of the the nutrients that were also packed in the bird poop and at this moment i just had my it was like a a light bulb just, you know, turned on for me and was like, this is it. How about, because my passion with trees has always been there. And I was like, oh my God, how about replacing or emulate nature and having birds uh, being drones and find a formula to cut, to prepare the seeds, load them in the drone and have the drones do the work uh, and restore uh, degraded landscapes. So that's how it all started. So what I'm hearing is the birds that are carrying the seeds, obviously the bird seeds gone through the digestive system, the seeds gone through the digestive system of the bird. So it's picking up sort of nutrients and stuff that's in the poop as well. It's picking up stuff like are you creating that same or similar formula as you plop the seeds into the ground? All right. So it's a formula. I can't say too much at the moment. Um, um, 
just because it's a bit of a trade secret, but um, we have uh, some nutrients that will help with the germination of the seed. So we, we are not forcing, we are emulating nature. We're not forcing the seeds to germinate. We're giving it a chance as soon as it germinates to have bioactive nutrients readily available for it to grow into a strong plant. Okay. So we're so really working with nature here. Yeah. You can put these seeds in an arid landscape and it'll grow. Correct. Have you, have so you tried it? Have you tested it? Is it yeah, working? So the testing has been done um, last year by another organization that we're partnering with. Um, and the challenge, another challenge, what we're working on at the moment with with the the drone is the cedar. So the drone is is a it's a commercially uh, off the shelf commercial drone. So we're not doing anything uh, about that. We're not building. I'm not building a drone. The drone already exists. Um, it's the cedar. So it's going to take us six months. So we're already halfway uh, into this process um, because what we're doing is we're not doing. We're not just throwing seeds um, out of a Plane, you know, out in the air with the hope that, you know, that they're just going to land miraculously uh, uh, in the right place and grow. Um, there is extensive research uh, in the plant kingdom with, um, in regards to symb symbiotic relationship in between plants. Yeah. And David has been working relentlessly uh, on this for the last 18 years in, in the, the site called Oya in Western Australia, where plants will grow and respond to each other depending on what is growing next to them and at what exactly what is the the length that another species need to grow and what is that species so there was a lot of trial and error um, and um, there was a lot of um, uh, feedback as well from the Aboriginal, from the local Aboriginal community that would say, you know what, here you're doing the right thing. Here, why don't you try that? And by doing this, with uh, he has perfected a, a formula of um, uh, native trees that will grow um, symbiotically really well, and that really in nature, that's how the, those plants uh, evolved. And you know, they protect each other. One is going to bring you know nitrogen into the ground. The other one, with um, the, the leaf, is is going to protect it and and um, prevent invasive species to grow. And so nature as a way to work. You know, it's mm. not just one species. Um, and, and we're going to do that. So the the cedar itself is really the brain. Of, of this operation. And um, we have, uh, we're developing our own software program that will on demand tell the drone to drop what seeds exactly where. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about the Syntropy uh, planting that, that um, I saw this guy when I was up in Byron who did a talk, uh, he started with a guy in Brazil who talked uh -huh. about centrally planting this this man in brazil has been planting you know what i'm talking about anyway he did a great talk about it i'll have to remember the guy's name i'll send you the information it's exactly uh -huh. what you're talking about and this guy's done it in brazil so he talked about how you know there's a cycle 
trees die and then some trees die quicker than other trees so you plant in a way where they're sort of dying but it's always forever building instead of entropy syntropy so entropy where everything sort of breaks down and dies like Mm -hmm. when something breaks down it's feeding the next thing that's growing and then the next thing that's growing so he's talked about all the levels of trees is that what you're talking about or is this something yeah 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 so it it has to it it it's linked to yeah something like this um and when we restore landscape the the aim is to not just plant trees but we're going to so there are five layers um that we'll be targeting from the ground cover all the way to the upper canopy so a ground cover will have uh, seeds of wildflowers that will encourage you know um, uh, bees and other pollinators and little mammals as well to come and, and take refuge amongst mm-hmm. it then you have the trees uh, all the way up to the trees and the upper canopy the big trees um, and and there is a timing as well so the obviously the ground cover will be the first one to germinate and then you have you know the, the, the little seeds from the trees that will come after so what's the dream with it what would you like to see like where would it be used where would it where is it? Um, yeah so uh it's a very topical uh subject in australia at the moment so mm-hmm. uh after fire or if a forest has been logged uh, um, that's where we would come in uh after mining as well so um you know after mining yeah 19. 9% of the time when uh, the mine is closed or uh, it's just it's you have this big hole in the ground mm-hmm. and we would come in. so anywhere where there is the landscape has been uh, damaged burned uh, logged um, or if there is uh, or, or that's really hard to reach right mm-hmm. that's when we would come in so um, a, a person during a regular day shift could plant a really good person a, a, a trained uh, um, you know person could plant around 800 800 seedlings a day mm-hmm. and with our drones we are making the drones to plant a quarter million seeds per day for for the same amount of time that this person would plant 800 we can plant a quarter million so exactly 288,000 seeds so the wow. quarter yeah so um it's during a day shift right so our drones can work at night so you yeah. multiply that by two so it's half a million trees are uh, in, in in a day and um uh, a million in 48 hours that's the goal and tell me where do the seeds come from emmerich uh so they're, they're they'll be locally sourced and we're going to be working with seed banks um for that so I don't know if you're aware, but everywhere out, all around the world, you have those banks that actually, instead of currency, they hold uh, seeds. Okay. And you have people in, um, you know, who go into the wilderness and collect collect seeds for for those banks, and then um, um, they get stored. And whenever you have clients um, who want them, like on a commercial level, or you know, even at at, at a lower level, they they can go and buy seeds from those banks. Right, I didn't know about seed banks. There you go. And who's going to be doing this? Is it going to be governments or people that are raising money to do it? Like who's going to be actioning this? Yeah, so we're targeting so the, the business model. So it's it's new. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm, 
I'm making myself very vulnerable here. Uh, this is a new business. And I, when I did my master's in environmental management, coming from a background of, you know, a, a really strong corporate background, there is a really strong gap between the business side and then the side of, say, the NGOs that are on the ground doing the right thing, right? And, and there is a gap. But that gap is really wide. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to bridge that gap. And I'm trying this business model. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm targeting on the corporate side. Uh, so federal governments, mining and agriculture as well. Uh, if for uh, people who have, you know, big areas uh, in agriculture where they want precision planting. And on the other hand, at the same time, uh, I'm doing partnerships with NGOs that are on the ground and, and replanting the forest. Now, um, the federal government, the mining and the agriculture, these are business to business transactions. So I would be dealing directly with the government or the, you know, the mining uh, companies. And for the NGOs, I'm involving the community. So um, the proceeds coming from those funds will be separated. They go to a completely different account. And we use that money to, um, uh, at the beginning, uh, um, help us pay for the technology. Mm -hmm. And we give the rest uh, to those NGOs to, that are on the ground already planting trees. So until we have the, the drones operational that can work in those parts of the world, we are using, we're we helping them to plant seedlings. And as soon as the cedar is ready, those NGOs will be ready as well to welcome us and, and uh, um, see what we can do with the drones. And the two NGOs that we are starting with, are one is in Western Australia. It's a planting site called Oria. And the second one is in Sumatra in partnership with the Orangutan Republic Foundation. What's the one in Perth called, Aura? Oria? Oria, A-U-R-I-A. And they plant trees. So what's the dream, Emmerich? Like replenishing. I have a friend who said that he wanted to replenish the desert of Australia. He told me this about, I don't know, 20 years ago. And I'm like, hmm. wow, that's a dream. Yeah. Um, a big, I've always had a dream like this, a bit similar. Uh, there is one happening at the moment in Africa where they're trying to rebuild a corridor between uh, East Africa and West Africa. Uh -huh. and I've always looked at the map of Australia and thought, wouldn't it be amazing to have, um, you know, the train that goes from Sydney to Perth? The Ghan, yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing to have on one side, you can have the beautiful Australian landscape and on the other side, you can have this amazing green corridor that follows, uh, you know, the train line and that would uh, revegetate, uh, yeah, this part of Australia and restore the landscape. You know, I'm Rick, a uh, few, well, I don't know, last year, I can't remember, recently, I had an Aboriginal um, spirit guide come to me and tell me, uh, I had always held this question, I flew over the States probably about 15 years ago, and, um, you know, like diagonally right over the States and looked down and thought, my God, this country is so lush you know, looking at the mountains and the forests and the, oh, and you fly over Australia and you kind of can look out for hours and just see red dirt, like just red. And I thought, why is Australia so barren? Why, why, why? So I'd had to help this 
question and then I had this Aboriginal dude turn up and tell me that there had been a reason that Australian had been so barren he said that um, it had kind of been a part of Gaia that had been set aside for future Earth and they didn't really want mass population in Australia in its current consciousness that when we've become more unified and more conscious of who we are connected to the Earth and connected to each other and connected to source then it would the land would replenish and that in years to come Australia would be as lush as and I always wondered I wonder what how that's going to happen like this is talking in years like well past our lifetimes mm. but you're kind of hitting on you know like you're making it happen <laughs> Very good. Uh, look I just want to be part of the solution so um, I, I think it's um, I come back to that story I told at the beginning you know that feeling that you have inside and I just want to yeah I, I love the planet I'm a big um, plant person and I, I, I just want to be part of the solution I want to do something every morning when I get out of bed that makes me I want to feel fulfilled you know I want to be excited by by my day and when I go to bed I want to be like you know what I've done something good today I think that's really important for me at this stage yeah it's really important for everybody I think at this stage at this stage in our human <clears throat> evolution yeah for people to make a difference and feel good about it and yeah I think, um, well, this is exciting. So how can people get involved and what can they do? Obviously, you're looking for funds uh, to sort of develop to the project. Yeah, yeah. So you can have a look at the website. So if the community wants to be involved. So I'm looking for partners, um, you know, for land to, uh, you know, where there is needed. So planting sites, definitely. But um if the community wants to be involved, they can buy tree certificates for their loved ones um, via the website and we'll plant the trees, uh, as I said, in those two uh, first two sites, one in WA and, and one in Sumatra in partnership with the Wangtan um, Republic Foundation. And um, yeah, the tree certificates are delivered to your loved ones, your family, your friends. Um, yeah. So why... Sumatra isn't Sumatra quite lush it is but the the issue that as uh, so the, the big problem that that they are facing is the uh, so the orangutan population um, lives in a very small uh, part of the island and um, the forest is being cut uh, extensively to make room for uh, palm oil plantations oh, wow. mm -hmm. and you're destroying the plant and literally those plantations i don't know if you've ever seen uh, any of this but it's a giant green desert so really? it looks maybe it looks like green but it's there is nothing there's not the insects don't even go there it's really, really bad, yeah and they're only grown for um, for the palm oil industry so that's that's the problem how do you get around that because people you know the thing about cutting down forests to put in industry people think that it's the only way they can make a living in countries like sumatra and south america and other places you know they think so it there's a lot of education that goes into into those programs as well um so um gary shapiro who is the director of of the uh republic foundation whom I met for the very first time um, face to face a couple of weeks ago here in Bali. 
explained to me that what they do is they go to those villages and they actually explain and show them, they say, look, yes, you're going to make money today, but this is what's going to happen to you in five years' time or 10 years' time. And this is what has already happened to those other tribes who took the money. So, in, so there is a way to reconnect with, with the land and, and looking at not just make a quick buck right here, right now, and lose, you know, um, any chances that you have as well later in the future of survival, because those people are really dependent on, on the forest, not just yeah. for food, but also, you know, for medicine and clean water and clean air. And suddenly when they're left with nothing, and as soon as there's a, a bit of rain, the landscape cannot support the, the ground anymore. And you have those mudslides and their village get destroyed. There is no more clean water. And the air that they breathe is you know, very polluted with, with the, the, the burning of the, of the forest. And, and there's just nothing. All the insects have gone. The ecosystem is, is uh, very damaged. So education Absolutely. is really- Education, mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a big, it's a big task. And, um, you know, it's so exciting to hear people like you, who are using technology, and your brilliant sort of skills that you've learned along the way, your passion for Gaia herself, and your incredible marketing and design and skills to come up with solutions. for what we're going through because you know you see people around the world screaming about the environment like all the kids and that Greta Thunberg's got screaming around the world but this is you know this is a solution and uh, I think you know people can get behind it and I can introduce you to a couple of people that I think um, will get on board with you definitely yeah Yeah. so uh, yeah so more to come Amrik more to come love to talk to you in a year or two and and yeah, see absolutely. what's happened. Hmm. Yeah, the thing about trees is they don't grow overnight, do they? But um, no, exactly. But I mean, this is—it's the challenge. Whatever you do, I mean, every, this is my view. I think with the environment, you don't need a degree. You don't need to go to a fancy school or anything like this. Everyone can do anything today. Like it doesn't matter. I'm not. You know, I. I don't think it's good to have to feel like you have to carry the whole, you know, world on your shoulder all the time. Just pick one thing. It does have, for me. It's trees, okay, because that that's me. That's who I am. But for anyone watching, um, just plant. Just pick one thing. It could be uh, plastic. It could be something to do with water. It could be growing your own veggies. It could be. Um, you know, anything to do with fossil fuel or your solar power or just pick one thing and just do something that you haven't done before. Yeah. And something that you can measure as well. Yeah. And see how you feel and just do this one thing. Because if one person can then see you do that one thing and you can inspire this person to actually be like, oh, you know what? I can do this as well, or I haven't thought of that. How about I try myself? You know, like that's how I think that the change will happen in the world. So just pick your one thing. For me, it's trees. I pick trees. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of things. You know, I I do a few things. Obviously, I don't just do trees, but uh, I give you an example. Uh, I've, I have a little dog that I share with a, a girlfriend of mine, and um, every time we go walk the dog, which is twice a day, 
two or three times a day actually, um, we always pick up uh, things that we see in Swiss, so like uh, many plastic and, and um, cigarette butts, right? Mm -hmm. So, and every day we make sure that every time we go, we just pick at least, you know, three pieces of plastic. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, change, there's a lot of things we can all do and start doing now. Uh, yeah, and I think that will make, make a difference. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I know I actually, you know, try my best to be a vegan. I call myself a vegan, which is like mostly vegan. Uh, oh, it's, it's actually, or VIP, vegan in progress. Vegan in progress. <laughs> That's me, vegan in progress. I love it. Because really, I mean, there is that cruelty to animal things. I, I'm, I'm not up with the kind of like we, we kill them to eat them because I don't think animals worry about dying. I think they're more enlightened with us. They understand that you can never die. You just leave your body. But it's the cruelty to the animal things. But it's the environmental impact that meat and the dairy industry has that really kind of made me go from vegetarian to VIP. <laughs> I just went... Oh, wow. You know, I didn't realize that the industry was so destructive on our environment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's my one thing. I still worry. I go to a supermarket and just see plastic after plastic. You know, I just, I, just, I don't know. Somebody's got to sort the plastic out. I don't know. Someone's yeah. got to sort that. I don't know who. Yeah, you know, things are changing. And um, <clears throat> I tell you a story, uh, which is very local to here. So by the way, I don't live in Bali. I live in Sydney. I'm just here. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, you're in Bali at the moment. I know the beautiful Bali. Speaking yeah, to American Bali at the moment. Yeah, sorry. Tell us your story. At the end of the year. But uh, I came here. So it's, uh, it's December now. And I came here. The last time I was here was earlier this year in January. And I was horrified. And when I say horrified, I don't think that's, that the, the word is strong enough, but I was horrified by the amount of plastic that this beautiful island was giving or for anything like seriously, bananas were, were wrapped in plastic. Uh, 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 things that had um, um, anything, anything you could think of, I can't, it, it, it was like, like this plastic sea every time I would come back from, from the supermarket and I got really upset and I would always, and I, I'm very conscious about it. Like if I see things wrapped in plastic, I just decide not to do this. And um, I was talking to a few local person here and I said, oh, no, that's really a problem. Do you think things are gonna change? And I was very happy to notice later that year, I was reading an article that uh, Indonesia and especially Bali from um, comments made from tourists on social media that were horrified by the amount of plastic because all these plastics ends up in the ocean. So when you go to the beach in Bali, sadly as lovely and beautiful as it looks, um, it, I've been in on this island at the time where, you know, it's the rainy season at the one where the plastic just come back from the shore and the waves carry all those plastic bottles and jack and it's really disgusting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I carry as much as I can back to the bin, but uh, you know, it's it was just uh, chaotic. And because of the pressure of those people commenting, they passed a new law that now plastic in supermarkets is forbidden. Wow. So everybody now, I was so happy when I go grocery shopping, everyone here has their, bags that they reuse and that and they don't give any more uh, plastic shopping bags at the end so it's a start in the right direction absolutely and i'm very happy for that so i i'm the eternal optimist you know mm -hmm. i know 
things are, there's a million things you could be upset mm -hmm. with every single day, just from reading the news or looking what's happening in the environment. But I take the approach that every, um, I think that for everything that we focus on is like a stick, right? And there is the good end of the stick and there is the bad end of the stick. Everything has this. And it's your decision every day to put your attention on which end of the stick you want to. And I choose as much as I can to, you know, to put my attention on, on the good end of the stick and focus on the positive because I know if I put my energy there, more will come, you know, more, more will resonate in terms of positive energy and outcomes and, and things that, uh, yeah, that will happen. Absolutely. Where you, your focus goes, energy flows. Absolutely. Yeah. Focus on what you want and not what's causing what you want. Yeah. So there's a lot of people screaming about what, you know, how it's all going wrong, but yeah, focus on the dream. What's the dream? That's why I always say to people, what do you want? What's the dream? And when people are so focused on what's going wrong, it's funny. They go, what do you mean? It's like, they don't understand the question. Well, what do you want? I don't know what I want. I'm so focused on what I don't want that. I don't know what I do want. But as you say, two ends of the stick, what you don't want and what you do want slide your focus up to that other end of the stick. Ah, and Rick, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been yeah, a thank joy. You so much. Yeah, that was Sorry, thank, go on. No, no, thank you. It's, it's always great to talk to you. I just, I, I follow you. I've been following you all those years on social media and listening to you. Uh, yeah, because the first time we met, we was a radio show. I was on community so, radio, yeah. I think I was talking about Eco Expo, right? We were sort of plugging Eco Expo, getting people to come along. Yes, well, yes, I know it's optimistic. There is, there is hope out there. There is brilliant minds doing amazing things. You know, there's that, that guy that's got, um, oh, what's that ocean one? He's cleaning up the plastics in the ocean and he's now cleaning up the plastics in the, I follow him. What's he called? Anyway, I'll put a link. Yeah, uh, I mean, closer to home in Sydney, we have uh, Tim Silverwood as well, who has uh, wonderful organization called Tech 3 for the ocean. So every time you go, uh, right. you, just, you just pick up three pieces of rubbish. Um, so that's actually how I got inspired to do that. Um, Tech 3, yeah. Mm. Tech 3 for the ocean, yeah. It's great, great uh, organization. Mm. Absolutely. I went for a walk yesterday. I was doing that. I walked beside um, the, the tennis courts here. There's a little corridor that goes to a park. And it's almost like this little corridor people just think it's a dumping ground for rubbish. So I'm just picking up all this rubbish. I wasn't taking three hours, taking so much more thinking, why do people think that the earth is just one big garbage bin? Like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Oh, there's a little corridor. Let me just drop all my crap down there. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we need I to educate people, as you say. True, true, true. Well, educate and inspire. As well. Inspire people. Absolutely inspire people. And please share this with anyone that cares about Gaia and the environment. And please share the Lord of the Trees. Why did you call it Lord of the Trees? I love the name. Uh, okay, so the name came um, four years ago. Five. Okay, so there's a little story. I don't know if we have time for this, but uh, yeah, we got time. Got, yeah, just edited. But um, four and a half years ago, I started this uh, page on Facebook for trees anything to do with trees and very randomly i was putting and i was not i have i was it was really not my attention but 
when I saw a picture of a tree that I liked, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to post it. And for four years, I, um, I only had on that page 110 followers and those 110 followers, all of them were my friends. Okay, they're all friends from, from Facebook. So, and people that I knew really close, closely who were like, you know, at the time when you start a new page, you say, you know, who do you want to invite amongst your friend? And I think those 110 friends were like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and um, about five months ago, I posted this picture, which I think about it was a great picture. I mean, I thought it was great. So at the time, you know, four years ago, I called this Lord of the Tree. I don't know why. And I had a picture of a little man. Um, that looks a little bit like Tarzan. That was my logo at the time. And I was like, you know, maybe one day something will come out of, of this page. And I really, it was never the focus. And about five months ago, I posted this picture. And um, the very next day, I remember I, I was coming back from a walk, from walking my dog. And I'm sitting on the lounge and I get this beep on my phone and I see it's a notification from Facebook. And I'm like, oh. And I look and it says, we just want to tell you the picture that you've posted, the last picture you posted on the trees had gone viral. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I looked and from 110 followers, I was suddenly, there was more than 2000 people and then two became three and four and five. And every day I was getting, and this is the most commented, liked, shared picture that, I've had on this page to date and uh, I couldn't understand what happened. But what I did was I took it as a sign. I'm like, you know what? This confirms that this is the road to take. I, I really to embraced it as, as being a sign. And that's when I started to put my energy into the trees and, and go back to and, and see what I had done in the past. Uh, so it was very easy for me because the my experience that I had when I went to visit David in, in Western Australia. And so that's how it really started. Oh, okay. That's a great little story. I love that. You have to send me the photograph of that tree. I'll put it up so people who are watching this. Yeah, yeah. Send me that, the viral tree. Oh, how beautiful, Lord of the Tree. It's actually, you know what? It's, uh, to be funny enough, this picture has no tree in it. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's no tree. I mean, I wish I would send you the picture. It's it's the most amazing thing, right? For a, a tree page, my picture with the most, yeah, the, the, that I gone viral has absolutely no trees in it. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, you called yourself. I asked you what do you call yourself. You said chief rainmaker, and really, that the trees do create the rain, don't they? The the less the more arid the earth, the less rain it attracts, and the more lush, the more rain it attracts. So. Yeah, so I, I guess planting trees is being a rainmaker, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was watching a documentary, so I'm not a scientist, but I've watched this absolutely amazing presentation the other day, uh, one of the TED, uh, TED Talks, and this guy was talking about trees and the chemistry that goes into, so the, the, the trees release some chemicals that go in the air, and when you have enough of those chemicals at the right altitude and given the right conditions, then uh, rain clouds start to happen and that's what happens in the rainforest that's when rainforests are so important because they create their own ecosystems yeah. yeah you know i was speaking to penny kelly one of the people i had on the show and she was shown 
years ago, like 40 years ago, some little men in brown robes showed up and showed her all this stuff about earth and what was coming if we didn't clean up our act. And she wrote a book called The Robes, which talked about coming changes. Anyway, they showed her, they went like a couple of hundred years into the future and they showed her a future time and they showed her how it was happening. And it was just interesting you talking about your, um, you know, family or mother ha having only eaten or your grandparents only eaten food yep. that they grew. So this in this future time, this is what happened. There were no central organization. There was no place where you go and buy food like supermarkets. Everyone had their own uh, kitchen garden, she quoted. And there was this technology where there was this dome that looked like it was made out of plastic, but it was a technology that was not plastic that you could put anywhere in the earth and it would create its own ecosystem and you could grow anything underneath it under this dome and it was called the kitchen garden and like families and groups and communities had these kitchen gardens and they would literally and she said when she looked in the cupboards there was no food in the cupboards because everything was on the earth and yeah, so yeah. food came only from the earth there were no canned foods <laughs> and so it was just it was really interesting hearing her describe this future time where we're kind of going back to how we were but then we're using technology that we don't have now so it's yeah it's fascinating i found it fascinating what the future I read, holds uh, mm. i read a story very recently of this guy in uh, he lives in florida and he moved in this uh, very nice suburb and he, he actually shows you can see um his neighbors like the houses are really nice and um they all have the most immaculate lawns, you know, in front of their homes. And what is done is ripped the whole lawn and is planted um, a food forest. Right. And he doesn't go, he does not buy any food from the supermarket. He has every, he's grown every fruit trees and veggies and everything is there within his, you know, quarter of an acre, a little plot. And it's sustainable for him and his family. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll reach a stage where needs are going to be more important than you know having lawn in front of your house and um and yeah. here is something as well that people who are listening to the show could do if if they have you know um lawn like this is to plant uh you know uh, uh, natives and 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 um um flowers for the bees because we have to support you know the bees, the bees yeah. yeah plant yeah. flowers for the bees yeah Fruit trees and flowers for the bees. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just looking at my tiny plot of land out there. It's, um, yeah, lots of flowers in it. I love my flowers. <laughs> All right, we're going to sign off now. <laughs> that was a long sign off, but lots of stories to share. And I look forward to seeing how a lot of the trees unfolds and more brilliant minds coming in with their technology. It's like using technology and nature together. It's just fascinating. Thanks Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Wow. What an amazing, amazing man with a brilliant mind doing amazing things in the world. What's the one thing that you're going to do this year or next year that can make a difference to the environment? As Amrik said, just pick one thing. Just pick one thing. Plant some trees. Stop eating meat. I don't know, go to sustainable shops that don't sell things in plastics. There are more shops like that popping up. It does cost a lot more. Buy organic, go to the market to buy your food. That's what I try to do. I don't always do that, I have to say. You know, try to buy from markets where you're buying things that are not wrapped in plastic. 
or grow your own food. Get that little plot of land or a couple of pots. I haven't got a plot of land. I've got some pots. I've got a little herb garden in my, on my windowsill, just for herbs. And uh, yeah, start planting food. Plant some flowers for the bees. There's so many things we can do. Start a group. Yeah, start a group. Plant a veggie garden on the medium strip in your um, suburb. There's so many things we can do. The, the re-greening of the earth, bringing back, bringing back the re-greening of the earth. Uh, you know, I love that, that you can buy walls of green. Like, you, like there's a big library that my friend works at and they spend all this money building this new library because they had this old library going for years. And when you walk in, the first thing you meet is this massive wall of green inside this building. They'd put this, these pots and all the way up this wall of green inside of it. It was amazing, amazing, beautiful too. Beautiful, brings oxygen to the air, makes you happy. <laughs> Look, there's so many things. But being with the earth and, and you know, planting things, it's, it's a way to get happy. Get happy, as Esther says from the teachings of Abraham. Get happy. Yeah, as powerful, deliberate creators. I hope you're all having a beautiful end of the year and um, enjoying the holiday season and loving the people around you and celebrating whatever belief that you celebrate at this time of year and just loving more and uh, loving the earth more. I think I'm going to talk much more about Gaia next year. I think that's the focus that feels like the focus anyway, talking about how we can uh, nurture her, bring her, be more in tune with Gaia. Mm, and Rick's inspired me. Imagine you can plant millions of trees a day. Wow, that's the, that's the solution to climate change. You know, we're putting CO2 into the air, carbon dioxide, and trees eat carbon dioxide. So the way to get the carbon dioxide out of the air is to plant more trees. Mm. Let's do it, 2020 plant trees plant trees and if you want to maybe plant a whole lot of trees contact Amrik and uh, check out his amazing Lord of the Trees and the drones planting the trees it's very exciting I'm excited I'm excited all right I love you all happy new year Merry Christmas miss I said that last time it's like Krishna Xmas but anyway I'm trying to be funny and I'll see you soon Mwah. big love